Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. Later, we'll conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Tanitha, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect workshop, the ninth annual Cancer Survivorship Series, Living With, Through, and Beyond Cancer. Now, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care, the National Cancer Institute, Live Strong, American Cancer Society, Intercultural Cancer Council, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And today's program, which is part four of this series, is focused on fear of recurrence and late effects living with uncertainty, which is a, such an important call. And I have to say that um, many of you have been very interested in this topic um, over the many years we've been doing this program and have requested this particular program that we offer today. Today's program, the collaboration and the topic itself, has really um, allowed us to reach so many of you. And we have on the call today over 3,239 participants. And you come from all over the United States, from all different regions of the United States. And we also have international participants from Africa, Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, Fiji, the Grenadines, Jamaica, India, Italy, Ireland, Korea, Malaysia, Nigeria, the Philippines, Portugal, Turkey, Venezuela, the Virgin Islands, the United Kingdom, and the United Arab Emirates. So you clearly come from all over the world, and this is a bit of a global call with everybody on the call today. Now, today's program is made possible by support from the National Cancer Institute and Live Strong, and we are very grateful for their support today. And it's my pleasure to introduce my co-moderator for today's program, Dr. Catherine Alfano. Dr. Alfano is Program Director and Behavioral Scientist, Office of Cancer Survivorship, Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences, the National Cancer Institute, National Institutes of Health. And it's my pleasure to now turn the program over to Dr. Alfano, who will say some words of welcome to all of you as well. Thank you very much, Carolyn. And let me add my warm welcome to our, inviter, to our invited speakers and to all of the listeners who have joined us for today's workshop. I, I'm really honored to be able to co-host this ninth annual Cancer Survivorship Teleconference Series that focuses specifically on the issues faced by survivors and their loved ones after treatment ends. On behalf of the National Cancer Institute, represented by my office, the Office of Cancer Survivorship, and by the Office of Communications and Education, we are truly pleased to serve as an organizational partner and co-funder of this program. Many of you tell us that you are living with the stress of not knowing whether your cancer will return and worrying whether that ache or pain that you awoke with this morning is cancer or just a bad night's sleep. You also tell us that you worry about long-lasting effects of cancer treatment on your heart or your bones. Today's presentation focuses on living with this uncertainty. Research has shown repeatedly that fears of recurrence and late effects of cancer treatment are the most common concerns experienced by cancer survivors, no matter what kind of cancer they've had. I'm very pleased that we have three outstanding national experts to address this important topic today. I hope that at the end of today's teleconference, you will leave with some practical tips to help you thrive and manage this uncertainty. Again, I'm delighted to be co-hosting this workshop with my colleague, Dr. Carolyn Messner, and I will now turn the program over to her. 
Well, thank you very much, Dr. Alfano, for wonderful words of welcome and also for just putting this in a context, this whole program today. And I do want to turn everyone's attention for a moment to the materials that you received from Cancer Care. In those materials is information about all the different collaborating organizations and their many resources. And I do want to point out to all of you, there's a wonderful um, piece in there on Facing Forward series from the National Cancer Institute. And if you don't have access to that, haven't gotten it, please, I suggest you do get it. It's just a wonderful um, informational piece. And there also is um, information about our speakers and what we're going to cover today. And there is an evaluation form. And I would ask you all to take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. We are in the process of planning our 10th annual, our next year's series, and your feedback will help to inform that program. Indeed, the topics for this year were determined by what you recommended that we should offer as topics. So we take very seriously your recommendations, and you're really the best to tell us what you need us to offer. And so uh, if you would take a moment, I really appreciate that. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and so I want to um, introduce our first speaker, Rick Dickens. Rick is an oncology social worker, and he's going to provide the survivor perspective. He's Blood Cancer's Program Coordinator at Cancer Care, Mind, Body, Spirit Project Coordinator, and I'm now going to turn the program over to Rick. Thank you, Carolyn. It is an honor being part of this call with Dr. Michelle and Dr. Spiegel. I'm a big fan of Dr. Spiegel's work. This is the most meaningful and challenging presentation I've ever done. Meaningful because I am speaking to an audience that understands cancer the way I do from the inside out. And challenging because there is no quick fix to the issue of uncertainty. In my story, I hope to give voice to yours in hopes our enjoined stories might provide insight into how to confront the uncertainty of cancer. The truth is you and I are already doing this. The question is how? For me, it comes down to four words, laughter, breath, peace, and hope. There's nothing funny about cancer. I don't want to make light of it. But uncertainty brings up dark feelings of fear, sadness, anger. So the only hope of dealing with these feelings is to create balance. Laughter brings moments of reprieve. I was 37 when I was diagnosed with a treatable but incurable non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Prognosis was 10 years or less. Yet my biggest fear was not treatment, but how I was going to deal with the emotional aspects of uncertainty. I have a history of reactive depression. How was I to pay my bills if I couldn't work? How would my family handle it? You all know the questions. I was a healthy athlete one day and an old man of 90 after treatment started. But family and friends helped me laugh, so I invited them to laugh with me. One of the most memorable ways was when my cancer returned three years later. I opted for an elegeneic bone marrow transplant when my sister Kathy was a match. During 40 days in isolation, a friend from church, Ann, brought me a greeting card with one of those goofy laughter chips. I made a vow to open it once a day for five minutes or until I would laugh. During a week of mouth sores, the pain was too much to talk, let alone laugh. But the card still brought a smile to my face and a moment of respite from the uncertainty. That practice continued through the dark days and months of recovery until the chip ran out many months later. Since then, I discovered the physiology of laughter makes you take deep breaths. What we don't do in crisis which in turn gave me a sense of calm and provided peace. Many think peace is being removed from or at rest. The truth is peace means being fully present, but not driven by the crazy fears of the mind. Peace is found in meditation, prayer, walks in nature. 
A great technique is mindful meditation. Mindfulness teaches you to look at feelings non-judgmentally, offering peace during times of uncertainty. And uncertainty exists for all patients and caregivers, encompassing physical loss, psychological struggle, and spiritual challenge. Whether diagnosed at 1840 or 75, survivorship leaves most of us with more questions than answers. What does my spouse think of me now? And sometimes, how do I deal with survivorship guilt when others I've met weren't so lucky? So over time, I came up with an acronym for peace. It all starts with P for power, harnessing your power through affirmations. Affirmations are positive sayings or quotes. I plaster my home and work with these hopeful reminders. Here's two of my favorite. The first is anonymous. I asked God how much time I have left before I die. She replied, enough to make a difference. And the second is from a wonderful late, the wonderful late actor, Hume Cronin. I don't understand life, but I think the key, if not the answer, is affirmation. We can't figure it out, any of us, but if we can embrace the mystery, it can be quite wonderful. The first affirmation talks about life as quantity versus quality. The second invites us to open our eyes to the wonder of life. The beauty is wonder can be witnessed in happy and sad times. The first E in peace is embracing role models. They could be famous or simply a neighbor down the street. There are lessons we can learn from those who reinvest in life in the face of new realities. With time, survivorship can include A, accepting yourself as a role model. I never heard anyone say they were happy they got cancer, but I've worked with many who come to see the painful lessons they learned could provide valuable knowledge for others. Which brings me to C, or confront uncertainty. One of the best ways to confront uncertainty is to set goals. Oftentimes, cancer survivors are afraid to. So I suggest set short-term and mid-range goals, then have fun dreaming about long-term goals. Living with uncertainty is confronting denial. A young man in one of my patient groups said, I'm a realistic optimist. There's a big question mark on my life right now, but I'm going to do everything I can to make it as long and enjoyable as possible. The funny thing about long-term goals is that sometimes you reach them, and then you're faced with the dilemma of making new ones. Uncertainty remains an ever-constant companion, but with mindfulness and P, we can, and here's the final E, envision hope. If there's a half glass of water, only you decide whether it is half empty or half full. So use your power to embrace, accept, confront, and envision plenty of opportunities to make a difference. And one more bit of humor. Ten years after my diagnosis, I began to have hip pain. My oncologist did a lumbar puncture, which many of you know is not pleasant. With the results back, Dr. Himes said, Mr. Dickens, I've got good news and bad news. I said, give me the good news first. It's not cancer, he said. Hallelujah, I said. Then asked, what's the bad news? A pause. I'm sorry to say you have arthritis. Again, I said, hallelujah. He looked surprised. Dr. Himes, I said, I prayed I should live long enough to hear the words, you have arthritis. And he laughed. Before I go, I'd like to ask everyone to join me in taking one deep breath and blow it out. It's something I've always wanted to do. So could you just join me at the count of three? One, two, three.
and take a moment to imagine if we were all together what it would sound and feel like to hear 3,000 survivors from around the world breathe. Life is filled with uncertainty, but with laughter, breath, peace, and hope, we can live with uncertainty and make the life we have rich and our experience meaningful. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Rick. That was outstanding and, and so eloquent and, I think, inspiring to everybody on the call. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. Um, thank you so much. And I think Rick's comments have kind of resonate with all of us throughout the call and after the call as well. So thank you so much, Rick, for that. And our next speaker is Dr. Merle Michelle. Dr. Michelle is Keenan Professor, School of Nursing, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And um, Dr. Michelle is going to address an overview of the fear of recurrence, events that may trigger worries, tips for coping with fears of cancer returning, and, and talking with your healthcare team about late effects. Dr. Michelle? Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here today, and I hope that what I have to say will be very encouraging to most of the pe all the people who are listening to this at this time. Um, and first, just a couple of statements about uncertainty. Um, I've been working on, on the uncertainty theory for over 20 years now, and I know that uncertainty also gives the opportunity for growth, and that many people, when they're living with uncertainty, can begin to see that there's a possibility to, to engage in lots of other activities, and that what uncertainty does, instead of saying, yes, you have to go in one direction, because of the nature of uncertainty, you can make choices in your life, and you can make cho choices that will bring you to different points. But to begin today, I want to talk a little bit further about how to, what, what, what makes fear of recurrence and how does fear of recurrence occur. Well, one of the things that I think most of us realize is that there are events that happen in our life, and some people call them triggers. And what they do is they, they set up, they, they, there are, they are events that can be things like new aches or pains, hearing about somebody else's cancer. Um, they can be things that happen in the environment where you drive past a place where you had your treatment and there are sights and smells and, and pictures that, that remind you of those days. It can be information from the TV, the radio, the Internet. It can be doctor's appointments for your annual checkup. It can be controversy of breast cancer discussed in the media. All of these can be, can be events that make you think the annual mammogram. It can be late emerging treatment effects. Can be the answer, the anniversary day of your diagnosis, or when a healthcare provider pays attention to a symptom that you haven't even realized that you might have. All of these set forth then this thought, and the thought comes into your head of the fear of recurrence. It wasn't there in the morning. It may not have been there before you had one of these events occur. But once one of these events occur. It moves you into that. People talk about those as intrusive thoughts, but they are intrusive because they're not with you all the time. They get triggered by specific events. So what can you do about those events? What strategies can you use? I've been studying this now in, in a number of, a number of, inter, of uh, interventions that I've been funded for by both NCI and the National Institute of Nursing Research. And one of the things that we found is that there are certain techniques that people can use. And I'm sure you're familiar with some of these. So that when there's a new ache or pain, what can you do? Well, one thing you can control is you can control your thoughts. You can control your head. 
You can tell your head, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to let it go to the fear of recurrence. I'm going to stop instead, and I'm going to use some positive imagery. I'm going to use some calming self-statements. I'm going to use some distraction. And by switching my head from the specific event and not, let, and not move, letting it move to the fear of recurrence, but instead stopping at that, that point and using one of these strategies, you can then keep your head from going to the fear of recurrence. The fear of recurrence gets generated by these events in your life. And we've seen that. We've seen that if women can focus differently on these, on these events, and these events are probably familiar to most people, particularly the calming self-statements. We have data that shows that people who usually use the calming self-statements, and those are talking to yourself. You don't need to have any other prop. You just talk to yourself. You say things like, I've been there before. I've managed that. I can continue to manage that. All of that keeps the fear of recurrence in a, in a separate place. And these, and these, those, those kinds of things that I've mentioned as triggers can be the events that lead you to worry. But you can have control over those. What you need to do is you need to train your mind. Your mind, the peace of mind that you own, you can train that mind that the moment you feel, see, smell something that reminds you of a trigger, you switch immediately to one of these strategies. Calming self-statement is calming self-statements are probably the most common strategies that are used. So that you, you do some work with that. You make you make a list for yourself. What are the calming self-statements that I can use? What is the positive imagery that I like? Is it thinking about a waterfall? Is it thinking about walking along a beach? What is the calming self-statement? And then what about distraction? What can I use as a distractor? And think about what, what are the events in your life that you can use as a distractor so that your head does not focus on those trigger events. You also can plan ahead. Think of fear of recurrence as just another pesky response to a trigger. Don't let it take control of you. Your brain can be your best friend if you use it correctly and arm it with strategies. Triggers, if they're not handled immediately, lead to intrusive thoughts and to uncertainty. What you need to do is you need to treat the triggers as the enemy and be armed with strategies to hit the triggers as soon as they appear. And keep hitting them with calming self-talk, with distraction, with positive imagery, with relaxation. Plan ahead. If you have an event that's going to happen the next day or the next week, and you know that that event will challenge your, your, you will challenge you and push you into thinking about fear of recurrence, plan ahead into what you can do. Can you bring a friend with you, a chatty friend, who will keep your mind off of that fear of recurrence? If you, can you, can you bring something, can you bring a book? Can you bring something else that will occupy your head? Think of it as there are two ways, there are two opportunities. One, I let the sphere of recurrence come into my head, and I know what that does to me, or I stop it, and you have the ability to stop it. You can generate your own list. You can ask friends to help you with a list 
so that you have a list of all of these event, all of these strategies, not just the three or four that I've mentioned, though those are the ones we've tested out in, 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 in intervention studies, but that you instead can come up with three or four other strategies that you can use at different times. Music is a wonderful one. If you're, if you're driving in your car and you, and you see, you pass something that gives you this, reminds you, about your treatment and, you, and your head goes into that level, you can turn music on. You can take music with you. You can sing to yourself and sing, sing things that are enjoyable. Sing the songs that you always loved as a child. All of those things occupy that space in your brain so that it keeps you away from, rec and from talking about fear of recurrence. And these are, think of these as tips for coping with the fear. Because the fear itself is not the reality of the situation. The fear is what you've generated in response to specific events in your life and in the society. And that's a different take on it. And I know it may not be one that you're familiar with. It may not be one that you've tried before. But I know that this works. We have used it with younger women who, with breast cancer. We used it with men who have been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, we've used it with, with both men and women with colon cancer. And all of these times, they are able to, if once they're trained to use these alternative calming self statements or relaxation or imagery, then they use those kinds of things. They're able to cope with the situation. And I think that is particularly important. Now, I want to move on now because I don't have too much time, and I want to talk with you a little bit about talking with your healthcare team about late effects. It's interesting, uh, being in a school of nursing, I was mentioning to someone the other day about, about this, this call and about talking about healthcare team and late effects, and this person said to me, doctors never like to talk about late effects. So you've got to think about that when you approach this kind of topic. How do you get people to talk about the thing? How do you get physicians or healthcare providers to talk about the things that they don't want to talk about? Well, one of the things that I have found out from one of my other studies is that you, you yourself can become in charge of that. You, you and yourself can be able to say to the, to the physician a little bit about yourself. My research has shown that the most important factor influencing doctor-patient relationship is the doctor's knowledge about the patient as an individual. The more that they know about you, the more that they know about your family, the more that they know about your children, the more that they know about your life, the more that they do that, the more willing they are than to go into this exploration about what's going to happen or what could happen. And these are the kinds that's, and you have to set that up. You have some responsibility with that. We know that one of the hardest times for patients is when they literally move away from the end of active treatment. That the uncertainty increases and the emotional distress increases. And that the uncertainty a you know, month after treatment ends can be more, can be stronger than it was even before you were diagnosed. But you can control that. You can control that by making sure that you keep up contact with your healthcare providers. I have told people that even if you're not seeing them, 
Stop by during a week. Bring over some cookies. Bring things and say to them, hey, I'm still here and I'm still involved. And when I need you, I'll come back. But you need to keep that relationship going. Part of that is you and it's up to you. Because the more that they know about you as an individual, and tell them about your life. Tell them about what you're involved in. So, and find out what they're involved in so that you develop more of a personal relationship. If you don't see the healthcare provider for a long, for a period of time, and then you, then you think, well, I need to go back and talk about what's happening with me, and you haven't kept up that relationship, it's going to be more difficult at that time to get the healthcare provider to be open and to be with you and to understand what's happening with you. Well, I think I've used up most of my time right now, so it's time for me to then turn this over to Dr. Spiegel. Okay, well, thank you very much, Dr. Michelle, for just a wonderful presentation, um, very informative, and so many tips and really so many ideas for people to, th to think about in terms of, of, of really um, coping with many of the stresses and, um, and, and the fears of recurrence, so thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. David Spiegel. Dr. Spiegel is the Jack, Sam, and Lulu Wilson Professor in the School of Medicine. He's Associate Chair, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Stanford University School of Medicine. And Dr. Spiegel is going to address developing a survivorship care plan, practical tips for coping and living with uncertainty, balancing reality with optimism, and strategies to manage stress. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Spiegel. Thank you very much, Carolyn, and it's been a pleasure to listen to these two uh, wonderful presentations. Uh, Rick's was inspiring, and Dr. Michelle has they both told us, don't let cancer take over your consciousness. Think of cancer as a more or less problem for your body and for yourself, not an all or none problem. Many of my cancer patients have said to me, my life has never been the same since I got cancer, but in many ways it's better. And a big part of what confronts people when they're diagnosed with cancer and when they're sort of cut loose at the end of treatment is they feel helpless. And helplessness is an awful feeling. So what we want to do is find ways to be active in the, in the face of cancer. And one thing many people don't realize is that while the hardest time may be when you're diagnosed with cancer, one of the toughest ones is actually when treatment ends. One of my patients was walking down the hall at Stanford Hospital on the last day of her radiotherapy for breast cancer, she said, I couldn't stop crying, and she wondered why. It was because she suddenly felt on her own. She wasn't celebrating the end of treatment. She was feeling that she had to deal with it for herself and deal with fears of recurrence by herself. So how can we develop a strategy that helps us face this kind of uncertainty together? One bit of good news is there's a lot more of us facing it. Uh, in 1971, there were 3 million cancer survivors in the United States. Uh, this year, there are 12 million cancer survivors in the United States. Now, that's really good news for us, and it's bad news for Congress. I hope they remember that we are going to need our Medicare. So there are more people living with the illness. We're thinking of cancer more as a chronic than a terminal illness these days. But when people are done with active treatment, there are a series of concerns that if you get in front of and you deal with directly, uh, you can, it can help you plan for your survivorship. So one thing that is good to do if you can as you complete your treatment is to get a, survivor, a medical survivorship care plan from your oncologist. Say, okay, 
what am I going to have to do to screen for the possibility of recurrence of cancer? What am I going to have to do to look out for late effects that were mentioned earlier, um, problems with heart, bone, um, uh, difficulty in thinking, the possibility of other cancers? There are regular screening plans that can be made, and it's helpful to know what you're going to have to do uh, to look out for late effects of treatment. There may be genetic questions that come up about what is the implication of my cancer for my children or my extended family, and this can be a time to look into those issues. And very important, think of yourself as being in training for the rest of your life. One of the odd things that happens to cancer patients is they think, well, the only threat to my life now is cancer. The good news is that more than half of all people diagnosed with cancer will live to die of something else. And what that means is that preparing yourself to take care of your body is the thing that is going to have the most effect on, on the quality and quantity of your life. So that means things like uh, not smoking, not abusing substances, diet and exercise are very important. And so I'll talk a little bit more in a minute about how to uh, take care of your body in the sense of training it to survive with cancer. There are also psychosocial effects. There are uh, uh, There's anxiety and depression that can come when you feel uh, helpless uh, when you feel overwhelmed and what we try to do is get people to convert anxiety into fear and depression into sadness. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, try and identify what it is that's making you feel very sad because then you can begin to think about something that you can do about it. There are some people who have enough depression, feeling hopeless, helpless, and worthless, that they really need professional help from a psychiatrist or a psychologist to deal with it. Uh, but many people have moments like that, and they can focus on what it is that's making them sad and figure out what to do about it. Social support is tremendously important, and I'll address that again in a few minutes. And financial problems, and again, I hope the Congress does something so that medical care doesn't become such a huge financial burden in addition to work limitations and other things. So those are the, the domains that one needs to think about in planning for survivorship. Um, you want to remember the rest of your body. The cancer is there, but your body is dealing with it, or it was there. Do what your grandmother told you to. Eat well, sleep well, and get plenty of exercise. Uh, this can be a tremendous help, and in our own research, we're finding that uh, even advanced breast cancer patients who had just one extra hour a day of moderate activity actually did better in the long term medically as well as psychologically. So anything you can do, even during your chemotherapy and afterwards, to be physically active uh, can be a tremendous help to your body and to your spirits. Another thing is sleep. Um, sleep is restorative. Most of us don't get enough sleep. You should get seven to eight hours of sleep a night, and if there are things interfering with your sleep, get some help in dealing with them. But being sure that you get plenty of sleep is a way of helping your body cope with the illness, and we've done some research that shows that people who sleep better at night are better able to self-soothe during the day, to get the benefits of things like the mindfulness that Rick Dickens talked about. Um, they're actually able to calm their bodies better, and we all know this. If we've had a bad night's sleep, you're irritable, you have trouble just soothing yourself during the day. So sleep at night, good sleep at night, helps you calm yourself during the day. Now, Rick had this great acronym of Peace, I've got a different acronym, FACES. And so what I want to do is go through with you in terms of how to emotionally cope with the illness. Uh, the first is FACE rather than FLEA, the F in FACES. 
we find it's very important um, to not uh, avoid or retreat from dealing with something that's worrying you, that looking it right in the eye uh, will allow you to feel less helpless because you'll come up with something to do. So even the concerns that people have about recurrence, about the implications of recurrence, it's better to look it in the eye and deal with it. One of my patients said that it's like looking into the Grand Canyon when you're afraid of heights. You know if you fell it would be a disaster, but you feel better about yourself because you're able to look at it. I can't say I feel serene, but I can look at it. So facing the thing that's worrying you is a better way to do it. The second is alter perception. Um, we can, our minds are very creative, and we can use them to help us see the situation we're facing from a new point of view. And this can include managing problems like anxiety and pain uh, mentally. Um, I happen to be very interested in hypnosis, and we use hypnosis to help people reduce or even eliminate pain. And if you can just concentrate uh, in a mental imagery kind of way on being somewhere where you feel physically comfortable and happy, being out in the sun, floating in a lake, you'll notice that your body starts to affiliate with the mental image and feel better in the opposite way that when you're worried about something, your body feels tense. We can use that mind-body connection to our advantage. And sometimes with pain, just thinking about a sensation that competes with the pain, warmth or coolness, if it makes you feel better, can actually alter your perception of the pain that you're dealing with. The third uh, letter is cope actively. C, for in faces, is coping actively. Find something you can do about whatever the problem is. So identify the problem and develop a strategy to deal with the problem. And maybe talking about it with a friend or a family member or calling your doctor and getting information uh, about the new symptom that you're worried about. But finding something active to do um, is a crucial way of coping with uncertainty. The E in faces is for expressing emotion. Emotions are our friends, not our enemies. Uh, one of my cancer patients started to cry, and her husband said, don't cry, you'll make the cancer spread. He couldn't have been more wrong. We tend to think that if we control how we feel about cancer, we're controlling the cancer. And that's not true. Our emotions are ways of telling us we've got to deal with something. And expressing those feelings openly brings us closer to other people and helps us understand ourselves what it is we need to deal with. So suppressing anger, fear, or sadness about cancer uh, is not a good way of coping with it. Dealing with those feelings directly and moving beyond them is. Um, finally, social support, the S in faces. Um, there, there's something very isolating about cancer. Some people get afraid of mentioning the C word, um, talking about it, and feeling isolated is not good for anyone. We're social creatures. So finding ways to enhance our social support, ask your friends and family for help that you need, talk with them about the things that are troubling you, find support groups of other cancer patients who are dealing with the same problems, and that can be very helpful to you. Uh, Shakespeare, of course, said it best. He said, when we are better see bearing our woes, we scarcely think our miseries are foes. The mind much sufferance doth or skip when grief hath mates and bearing fellowship. So not keeping this a secret, but coping actively, expressing emotion, seeking social support are ways of dealing with the fears uh, that surround the recurrence of cancer. So in summary, fixing your body can help your mind. Fixing your mind can help your body. Um, it may be that handling these negative emotions can help people live better, maybe even live longer. Feeling better may lead to healing better, so mind your body. Thank you.
Well, thank you very much, Dr. Spiegel. Just an um, extraordinary presentation. Thank you so much, and um, so many wonderful tips and suggestions and for everyone to think about, and um, the wonderful acronym of FACES. And we, we, so we start off with uh, Rick's acronym of, P, of Peace, and we're ending with your acronym of FACES. So this is a terrific, very uh, creative call today. Thank you so much. Um, I want to thank all of our speakers, and we now do have time for questions. And I'm going to ask Trinita to bring all of our speakers on board so that we can address your questions. And I also want to say something about the question and answer period. You know, um, I think we start off with all of your wonderful 3,000 breaths on the phone. And there are so many of you on the call today um, that we may not be able to get to everyone's comment or question. If we don't, please call us after the call, and I'll give you the number to call throughout the, the um, today's program. In thinking about today's, this second part of the program, because many of you have also um, a lot of expertise, clearly, um, on this call, we wanted to also um, invite your expertise as well. So during the second half, we've often asked people to ask a question or make a comment, but we also want to add that for today, if you would like to add a quick tip on coping with your fears or concerns, please do share that quick tip with us. Uh, that would be very helpful. And I'm going to ask uh, Trinitha, to, um, she's brought all of our speakers on board, and she's going to explain to you how to queue up to make, to make a quick tip or ask, make a comment or question. And um, we'll take as many of your, of, of your comments and questions and quick tips as possible. And if we don't get to you, do not despair because you can call at Cancer Care after the call. Trinitha? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question or if you have a tip or comment, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or if you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Our first question is from Allison S. Go ahead, please. Hello. Hi, Allison. Yes. Um, my name is Judy, and I'm coming to the end of my treatment with my care team presence. Um, I have ovarian cancer. I was told that I, I can, should have no more chemo, radiation, or operations. Um, I find it very, very hard, my tip would probably be, to find any information on ovarian cancer. Very difficult, especially tests and et cetera, but uh, that I'd like to find out, and I've, I think I've got a lot of leads in the, the paperwork, but nobody, nobody ever says anything about ovarian. Uh, the last thing that the doctor put me on is tamoxifen, which is sort of a trial because it's, I'm basically almost down to nothing, I guess. I'm, I'm not giving up, um, but I feel he is. And when I looked up tamoxifen on the, on the computer, I got nothing but bad vibes. What and do Judy, I did do? You, okay, and did you have a question specifically? What is, yes, what do I do? Now, okay, all right. Tamoxifen Thank you. Is, okay. my, is my only okay. thing, and I'm not supposed to even use it. Okay, well, thank you for that, for your question. I'm going to ask Dr. Siegel if he could address that. Well, there, there, I hear two issues, Judy, in your question, and one is getting information. The National Cancer Institute has a wonderful website that has up-to-date information on, on, the, uh, on treatments of all kinds of cancer, including ovarian. So it would be worth looking there, and other ACS also has a good website on information. But I hear a second issue, and that is you're saying your doctor is giving up on you that he's sort of running out of tricks and things to do and seems to have lost interest, I would discuss that with him or her um, because you're entitled to the best possible care regardless of what the treatment options are. 
And so I think the second issue you're dealing with is your sense that your doctor is pulling away and you want to be sure you've got your doctor with you and that you're entitled to that and I would talk to him or her about it. And Judy, actually, I'm going to call you after the call as well so we can talk a bit more. And just for everybody else on the call, um, I think the NCI is a wonderful resource and there's also an 800 number um, um, the 1-800-FOR-CANCER number that's in all your materials, and that's wonderful to speak to one of the information specialists as well that can be very helpful. And, um, and Carolyn, yes. this is Rick. Yes. I'd just also like to say at Cancer Care, we have a special ovarian helpline, um, and several of my colleagues specialize in that area. And, Allison, if you call us, um, you will be directed to the ovarian helpline, and they will help you navigate some of that as well. Let me also add that the National Cancer Institute has a, an online booklet called What You Need to Know About Ovarian Cancer. So if you go on our website, www.cancer.gov, and then just type in ovarian cancer, you'll find that, uh, that online booklet that has lots of information that hopefully will give you some of the information you've been lacking. So Judy, I hope you feel surrounded by lots of tips and help um, for this call, and we'll talk after the call as well. Okay, thank you. Our next uh, comment, our quick tip. Thank you. Our next question or comment is from Jeff H. Your question, please. Um, hi. Just a quick question. Uh, first of all, the, the uh, telephone conference today was very, very informative, and I thank all the speakers. Uh, a lot of information. I was writing feverishly. Uh, the, the first speaker, your uh, acronym for peace, um, could you review the um, A acronym again? And, and before you do, my, my little tip is, um, I'm about three years out of uh, head and neck cancer and thyroid cancer, and one of my tips of getting through each day and trying to stay healthy and overcome fear of, of reoccurrence is to try to live uh, in harmony each day in peace and try to strive for balance, uh, even throughout the busyness of a, of a work day, try to find a few moments to just get away, take some deep breaths, take a small walk. Uh, I find if I get through each day, a little more balanced, then uh, my whole mind, body, spirit is is uh, in a little more harmony. Well, thank you, and Jeff. Jeff this is a very good example. Excellent. Wonderful. Yeah, this is the next. I would second that. This is Rick, and um, and definitely just finding the balance. We can't avoid the uncertainty, but how do we learn to live with it? And especially both um, Dr. Michelle and Dr. Spiegel addressed that. Uh, the acronym for peace is power to embrace, accept, confront, and envision. And for me, the A was accepting yourself as a role model. A lot of times also it is very empowering at some point. And I would second so much what Dr. Spiegel said is that as somebody once said to me, we are full, we are, are created with a full range of emotions. I get many people who call, and so do my colleagues at Cancer Care. I want to get into a happy group. And that is some denial. And other people have said sometimes in cancer there is a healthy dose of denial for some time. But then at some point you need to move beyond that and empowering oneself. And at some point in the process, accepting yourself as a role model is a, is a form of empowering, recognizing, again, that nobody would want to go through this but in this experience, as there are people who have gone through it before and are usually role models for us, you are thrust into a position to make meaning of your experience and help other people behind you who are newer diagnosed and struggling and wondering how do you get through this. So um, that is a transition, but it's a very empowering and important transition, again, for making meaning out of what you've gone through. 
Well, thank you very much. And I actually want to thank Jess also for your quick tip. That's really excellent. I think one that is going to resonate for everybody on the call as well. So this is a very powerful audience that we have today. Thank you. We're a wonderful group. Our next uh, uh, quick tip or comment. Thank you. Our next question or comment is from Lori S. Go ahead, please. Um, hi. I, I wanted to say more a comment that um, that while the information that was given was really good, I still don't I was hoping when I got on this conference that I would find something, some magic bullet that would really help me take the fear away. And like envisioning a happy place or something, it doesn't replace the fear. It just sits side by side with the fear. And then I start to feel um, people that think, well, get over it. You know, you're almost five years out. What's the matter with you? Um, why can't you get a grip on it? And I guess that's just my comment. No, that's an excellent perspective, Lori. Thank you. I'm going to ask Dr. Spiegel if he could start by addressing that issue because I think you're raising a very important point that I'm sure resonates for many people on the call. So thank you. Thank Dr. You, Spiegel? Lori, thank you, Lori, for sharing that experience. And you're absolutely right that this is not – it can be – I think the issue is that there are times when you want to give yourself relief. You don't have to be immersed in your fear 24-7. But there are absolutely times when you need to live with it. You know, we all have to face the ultimate issues of life, of living and dying. And I would say the single thing that you might do that, that might be of help is pair that fear you have. Try and make it as specific as possible. Am I afraid there will be a recurrence? What, what type of recurrence? What will be involved? And pair that with what you're going to do about it who you're going to call, who you're going to work with in dealing with it if it happens, so that if you have an action plan linked to what you fear, you'll still have the fear, you'll be dealing with it, but you'll feel less helpless in dealing with it. And um, thank you. And Dr. Michelle, do you want to comment on just that five-year piece that I think um, Lori mentioned? Um, in terms of yeah, I, I would like to. I would like to. I think that one of the one of the approaches that people have been talking about or have talking about is uncertainty is always a negative event, and it is not. Um, a lot of people. There are there are many examples, and it's been in a lot of the literature that people can grow through that uncertainty, and they can use it to find other opportunities. You know, there's a difference between uncertainty and negative certainty. Negative certainty is usually something that has a downhill course, and you know that. But the uncertainty doesn't. It provides you with the idea that things can change, that, that, that things aren't predictable, and so that when they can change, they can change in a better way. And that you can put that, that fear into the uncertainty, let the uncertainty then become a, a sort of a program in your life so that you try all kinds of different options, looking for the ones that are going to fit the best. And people, and have, people have used, I know there's been a lot of work that has been done with uncertainty and heart transplantation, where people see these things as a possibility of a new, new opportunity for themselves. And Lori, I would like to say also, as was expressed in my presentation, I am well past 10 years, the prognosis I was initially given. But that doesn't stop the uncertainty, especially as an oncology social worker. I had a tremendous amount of chemotherapy and radiation, and I know the potential for long-term side effects. But one very practical technique which works for me in prayer is, is part of meditation, and I do belong to a house of worship, and prayer is important, but also mindfulness. 
And mindfulness in the U.S. has been around for 25 years, as Dr. Spiegel and Dr. Michelle have, have said as well. It is not denying and it is not avoiding the reality of uncertainty, but it is a technique, um, hardly a magic bullet, but the more you practice it, a place to be comfortable with the wide variables of feelings that we confront in all of our lives. Um, I find it very, very helpful. And Lori, I really I want to thank you for that perspective. I will call you after the call as well because I, I just think that I hear I hear what you're saying in terms of just so what do I do? And I and I think we're trying to give some guidelines, but um, also I should say for all of you on the call, some people do actually um, throughout this process uh, make uh, take advantage of um, joining a, a professionally run uh, support group or um, a and that's for everybody on the call. Just might think this could be helpful to me to be with people who. I can kind of resonate with on a kind of regular basis around these concerns. So I, I want to offer that as well as, a, um, as an option for everyone as well. So, but thank you, and I think these issues are going to continue to come up. Thank you. Our next uh, question, please, or comment, or a quick tip. Thank you. Our next question, comment, or tip is from Polly P. Go ahead, please. Uh, hi. I, I have a comment that I think the fear is larger for, for METS patients. Uh, because it's it's spread and uh, most likely will spread again. And my tip, if it hasn't already been said, because I was off the phone for a minute, get a pet. I'm sure many of you listening are nodding your head. I call a cat low maintenance. Uh, and they're just as cuddly and wonderful and uh such and so good for you as a dog but it's not as much responsibility and or or a, a frog or a turtle or, or something that <laughs> that you can love back so um, that's my tip no Polly, that's really uh, really quite terrific thank you um and um and in terms of Dr. Spiegel, do you want to address the issue around the of uh, the issue of the larger issue for people who have maybe metastatic disease well, certainly, yes. The, the, the fears are there, understandably, and you're right that if, if there is metastatic disease, it may well spread. I think, Carolyn, your point about finding a support group, there are many excellent support groups and support programs around the country, indeed around the world, that not suffering in silence, that seeing other people who are going through the same things you are, finding in your experience, uh, as Rick said, the ability to give as well as receive help can be very reassuring. So I think facing rather than retreating from those fears is very important, and joining a support group can be great. And, you know, pets are terrific, too. You know, one thing about a pet is the pet loves you. They don't worry about your cancer. And so you have a kind of relatedness with a creature that is primal and uh, positive and is a part of your life that doesn't have to be taken over by the cancer. And, Polly, this is Rick. I would say when I was diagnosed, I recognized that. Um, quite a long time ago and immediately went out and got a cat. And the first night I brought him home, he slipped under my left arm, and he slept there for 18 years through numerous recurrences of my cancer. And, um, and I couldn't tell you or couldn't validate more than you already did the value of that. There is research on the efficacy of pet therapy. And it doesn't have to be a cat or, or a dog. It can be something as simple as a fish just something really that needs you that's alive and present in your house. 
Thank you. And thank you, Polly, because actually, although you, were, you may have been off the phone for a few minutes, no one had mentioned a pet before, so I thank you for that contribution, and actually all of you. Okay, our next uh, quick tip or comment or question. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question, comment or tip is from Linda B. Go ahead, please. Hello. I just have a comment that um, after my surgery, which was uh, included removing a portion of my brain, um, and that portion, uh, some of it's left because it was inoperable, but some of it that was removed took control of memory and speech and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I was telling a girlfriend she got really mad because I lost my job because of that. But she says, on the other hand, now you have time for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, I was 24-7 work. I thought about it. I dreamt. I woke up in the middle of the night. Oh, gee, I, you know, I should have done that. And that's what I got to do. But now I don't do that anymore. And it, that part feels good. Oh, Linda, thank you. That's uh, you really. Um, that's an ex just a wonderful contribution to the call. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next comment, tip, question. Thank you. Our next question, comment, and tip is from Patricia B. Go ahead, please. Hi. First of all, I'd like to thank everyone um, for their presentation today. And one of the things that I wanted to ask was about the A in peace, Rick, because I had missed it and I was writing feverishly as well. And I'm really glad that I heard that again because that means a lot to me. So the other thing I wanted to say is um, I really appreciate, David, that as an MD you are so open to the mind body thing, I find that that can be a hindrance sometimes with the medical, um, you know, arena as, um, as it relates to incorporating that. And I really appreciate that in the way that you practice. So I guess leftover is a tip which everything, you know, sounds good and peaceful and, and meditative and prayerful. And believe me, I do that all of that and deep breathing, and it has gotten me where I have come from. Uh, my last cancer diagnosis is now six years out. My first one was when I was 17 years old. So I guess the thing that I want to say is uh, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer six years ago, I wasn't really very happy about it at all, certainly, so I took up boxing. And when I would go to my boxing lessons and I would hit the heavy bag, I would pretend that it was cancer and I was smacking it right in the face. And it helped an awful lot. Wonderful example. <laughs> wow, that is fabulous. What a wonderful example. <laughs> what a terrific audience we have today. This is amazing. That's a fabulous, what a great, uh, just a great image that we all have now. Remarkable. Thank you. Patricia, really I would also. Go ahead. Well, Patricia, I would also say, and that is really powerful, and I've worked with one person who actually was took up boxing as well, and it really was very important. But um, kind of picking up on what Dr. Michelle said, too, is for those of you who can't box, and maybe that's not the best avenue, you can box in your mind. You can do visualization that is really doing a lot of the same. And um, with psychoneuroimmunology, they are showing a lot more of the, uh, the efficacy of our mind and its influence on the body. So that's a very powerful um, active thing that you did, but it can be a very powerful mental thing for others. 
Oh, thank you. That's uh, that's really terrific. And I, um, Dr. Alfano, did you want to? I did. On? Yes, I'm really glad this I, this point about exercise came up because Dr. Spiegel started talking about this. But I wanted to underscore: we have a lot of research now that says you get a lot of bang for your buck with exercise, whether it's boxing, boxing, or just walking around the block, because it does a lot of things simultaneously. You're working out your fear. You're getting rid of it physiologically. You're calming yourself. It's a great distractor. And if you're doing it with a friend, it's social support, too. So it's a lot of the things that we've talked about today all rolled into one. Wow. I, I want to, I have to say, I want to thank our speakers. This has been an extraordinary call today. I have to say that um, our speakers have been terrific. All of our participants have been terrific, and many of our participants joined our faculty ranks because you offer these wonderful tips and suggestions. So we really have had um, really just an amazing, this is our part four of this uh, ninth annual series, and it, it could not have been more, more terrific and really because of all of you. And I do want to remind everyone that this is a one-hour workshop, and then I'm planning a program like this. Of course, we recognize that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one-hour program. And so with that in mind, I do want to remind everyone that there are a lot of services that continue for all of you when this call ends. The call will end soon, and, but I do want, to, want you all to know that there are many services that you can continue to access and continue the dialogue that we started today um, with all of you. Um, I do want to address, first of all, the services you can access from Cancer Care. Cancer Care has a staff of 50 master's level trained oncology social workers, and we are here to provide all types of support services, from practical assistance to financial assistance to actually uh, counseling services, which is a uh, kind of fancy word for someone to talk to about your concerns and what might be on your mind. We also offer support groups on the telephone and online, and they're professionally run support groups. We have lots of materials as well. Um, and um, you can call Cancer Care by dialing 1-800-813-HOPE or our website is www.cancercare.org. However, most importantly, we have many other resources that you can access today um, from the program today. We partner with many other organizations today for today's program, and all of those organizations also, along with Cancer Care, offer free services. So most importantly, as we're about to conclude our program today, none of us want you to feel you're alone in coping with your survivorship issues, with your concerns around cancer issues, around recurrence, around any of the issues that you're struggling with or thinking about. We want you to now feel that you're part of a community of support. And they're all really, we're all here for you. We're simply a phone call away, or you can visit our websites or uh, and involve yourself, uh, send us an email, whatever works best for you, all the different types of technology for each member of our audience today. But most importantly, please feel that you're now a part of a community of support and you can contact us with any of your questions or concerns. I want to thank you all for participating today. And I do want to remind everybody that um, we very much welcome your evaluations for today's program. We, we, we actually will need them to plan a really a wonderful program for next year. Just as many of you contributed to this year's program, we also want your feedback for our program next year as well. So I want to thank you all and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may disconnect and have a wonderful day.